Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, hello, and welcome to Saving Lives in Slow Motion. Now, today, I'm going to be talking about medical myths. Yeah, this is a bit of a fun episode, really, because um, medical myths are all around us. How many times have you heard remedies that your relatives or friends or you know people that just randomly offer medical advice come up with, and you think, wait a second, where does that come from, and is there any truth to it? So I thought it might be fun to look at a few of those and there are just so many and most of us you know experience this from early early life really there's there are lots of myths that creep in you know the commonest apocryphal one is an apple a day keeps the doctor away but you know there are just so many um carrots being good for your eyesight cold water giving you stomach cramps uh, breakfast is the most important meal of the day uh, you know it goes on and on and on and the time it really sort of hit me was about 15 years ago when I had a really bad uh, sty on my upper eyelid and it was it was awful it was so big and, and very visible um, quite painful as well and I'd just been doing the usual hot compresses for it but what was interesting was that almost everyone who walked into my room that day gave me some advice on what to do with it including putting a tea bag on it rubbing apple cider vinegar on it putting garlic on it or even an ice cube it was astonishing but every single one had something different to offer me it was really sweet actually because they obviously cared and i must hasten to add i didn't actually do any of the things that were on offer it also got me thinking about the fact that a lot of people swear by their one thing for everything so most of us know someone like this where their life is dominated by that thing whether it's Himalayan salt or turmeric or forest bathing or ice cold showers and you know they become really quite evangelical about that particular thing it filters into every aspect of their life there's a lot more to medical myths than you know, home remedies and, and things like that. And if you're interested, one of the show links is um, about a programme I made in 2013 with Ellie Cannon and Pixie McKenna uh, called Health Freaks, where people did exactly that. They brought in their home remedies and then we sort of gave them a verdict as to whether we thought there was any validity to it. Quite interesting, so you can have a look at the trailer for that. But other medical myths include... Um, things that are a bit more nuanced so for example proverbs or dictums you know like we only use 10% of our brains is that true 
or crossing your legs cuts off your circulation, or that stress um, makes your hair go grey? And is it right to feed a cold and starve a fever? And I guess for me as a doctor, you know, most of you that know my work know that I'm extremely curious and I always want to get to the why of the why, the root of the root. And it frustrated me when I was a junior doctor that I didn't know the answers to these things, even though a lot of them are just folklore. It's nice to know whether there's any truth to them. So I'm going to cover a few of them um, and go through the reasoning behind whether they're true or not uh, with a bit of the science and then also post some links to ones that are interesting because we you know this is a fascinating area and I know people love this kind of stuff and also is there anything useful that we can extract from these myths um, that might help us feel better or live healthier lives so let's start with the 10% brain one you know is it a myth that we only use 10% of our brains? Short answer is yes, it's a myth. So the next question is, if it's a myth, where does it come from? And many people say it's from the work of William James, who was a psychologist in the early 1900s. And he did a lot of work on fatigue and the fact that people often don't feel like they're firing on all cylinders when it comes to mind and body. But, you know, like any good rumour, that seems to have been taken as gospel and it's just been perpetuated through the years by various people, including Albert Einstein, as a sign that we don't fulfil our potential. Um, Actually, when you look at functional MRIs and you look at um, PET scans of the brain, most of us use most of our brains most of the time. And, of course, remember that the brain is neuroplastic, so you can learn new things into old age so that's all good news okay so what about crossing your legs is it really bad for you does it cut off your circulation in fact i often tell patients not to cross their legs when they take their blood pressure because crossing your legs temporarily spikes your blood pressure well there's a few things about leg crossing um which may not be so good for our health um It's one of those things, isn't it? No one does it until a certain age, and it's a very sort of adult thing to do, Um, you know, sitting quietly somewhere, politely. People often cross their legs, you know, whether it's on a tube train or in a meeting or wherever. So it certainly wouldn't be a good idea to cross your legs all the time because, A, it does cause a spike in blood pressure, and B, it's probably not good for your posture. It can cause your pelvis to rotate or tilt and that can sometimes lead to lower back pain and the like. In physical terms, um, going back to the actual veins in the leg, of course it's not good to cross your legs and leave them in that position for a long time because the blood's not going to be able to move and circulate very well. So if you're say on an aeroplane or something for a long flight I would definitely recommend that you don't cross your legs during that just because you want to kind of keep the uh, blood moving. Right, so what's next? Going grey, stress making you go grey. It's funny, isn't it? Those those kind of myths um, come into common parlance. Um, I, re- I remember an old GP colleague telling me, oh, why give yourself an ulcer? You know, why go grey early? Meaning, you know, why give yourself stress by, you know, taking on extra work or whatever. Now, this is a really interesting one because, again, you would think that most doctors would know why 
we go grey? What's the sort of mechanism behind going grey? We know it happens in older age, but, you know, can stress trigger it? This is an interesting one. So the actual mechanism, you know, in terms of chemicals as to why we go grey is because of a build-up of something called hydrogen peroxide in our hair particles. And that happens naturally as part of the ageing process, but it also happens if you have a lot of what we call oxidative stress going on in your cells, and that is to do with inflammation and, you know, if you've got another condition, for example, and potentially if you are very stressed. So there is some truth, I think, to that. It's not the kind of thing that you'll find studies on, you know, does stress cause grey hair? But it's something that can be explained chemically um, in terms of a process. So the more hydrogen peroxide you've got bounding around, the less melanocytes, you know, the, the actual sort of coloured pigment in your hair you have. Of course, there are, uh, you know, genetic reasons as well. And I've got friends who, you know, one side of their family go grey very early. So that's also a big factor. Okay, so feed a cold and starve a fever. How many times have we heard that one? Where does it even come from? Well, apparently it was, you know, a bit like modern day press or PR. Um, It was first coined by someone called John Withels, who was a lexicographer. He he wrote the dictionary um, back in 1574 and wrote, fasting is a great remedy of fever. As far as I know, he didn't have any scientific background. And you know what? The jury's out on this one. I'm going to let you decide for yourself because from, um, you know, animal studies, there is some evidence that actually starving a fever helps, particularly in flu-like illnesses. But another school of thought says that you should feed both um, a cold and a fever. Your immune system effectively needs boosting and One of the theories is that the fasting state actually improves your immune response. But there is also a small amount of evidence that chicken soup actually has a beneficial effect on mucus. There's lots of theories around this, one of which is that chicken soup is rich in something called carnosine, which is a natural type of antioxidant, and that seems to have more of an effect. You know, chicken soup seems to have more of an effect than any other... Uh, liquid food in helping mucus to flow and kind of helping uh, the body kind of rid itself of the cold virus. How amazing is that? So in summary, I'm going to leave you the links on those and you can decide what to do. It seems like the jury's out. Some people say feed everything. Others say, hey, you know, fasting when you have a fever might help. Ultimately, what's my view? I reckon just go by how you feel and be guided by your appetite. Just while we're on the subject of things like colds, um, another adage is that kids get colds. Um, And that's very much true, and there's an obvious reason for that, and that's because their immune system is immature compared to that of an adult, and they have lower levels generally of something called IgA, or immunoglobulin A, which means that the linings of their nose and their lungs, you know, where they secrete mucus from, that response is not as efficient as it is in an adult. And so often the mucus hangs around a bit longer. And as such, you have the adage that kids get cold. Okay, so what else? There's just so many that we could talk about. Are eggs bad for your cholesterol? 
Are nuts junk food? Are nightcaps any good for sleep? Is chocolate an aphrodisiac? Does garlic improve libido? Um, oh, God, I just, you know, could go on forever with this one. Um, do cucumbers help puffy eyes? Does green tea help weight loss? Uh, what do I pick? Okay, so very quickly, nightcaps generally aren't good for sleep because um, they may help you get off to sleep. But as you metabolise the alcohol throughout your sleep, it will get to that level in your blood where it's a stimulant and tend to wake you up or disrupt sleep. So that is a myth. With libido and garlic, there was a small study just in men. There's 49 of them. You can see this in the show notes. And they were given um, a compound with garlic extract, ginseng, and velvet antler and it looked as though that improved their erectile function i mean firstly the study was only in men and there were other factors apart from the garlic so who knows but garlic you know does improve blood flow there's some studies on that so and and with all these things um you know with all these myths occasionally there's sort of there's some truth to them but you it's really hard to kind of say yes it's true or no it's not so I guess it'd be nice to come full circle and look at the one about an apple a day. Where does that even come from? Apparently, it comes from the late 19th century and originally went something like this. Eat an apple on going to bed and you'll keep the doctor from earning his bread. So, actually, there is some evidence that apple eaters are less likely to see a doctor, and that's in the modern world, and I've linked the study there on the show notes. So there is some truth to that. And apples, if you can eat them and you're not allergic to them, just contain so much good stuff. You know, they contain fibre, vitamin C, lots of flavonoids. Yeah, and actually improve the quality of your gut flora the bugs in your gut which of course is the food for your immune system so they're a great thing to incorporate if you're not an apple eater it's a great thing to just have as a snack i wasn't for many years um myself i preferred biscuits and things but um now it's very much a part of my daily routine of course a cynic could argue that apple eaters just hate doctors So that was medical myths. There are just so many more that we could cover. I might have to do another episode on this. I don't even know whether that was of any use to you or interest. I'd love to hear your feedback. Um, it's um, yeah, it's one that really fascinates me. I think we live in a world now where everyone has their own social media feeds. We consume different things and information is available so freely and easily that we come across medical myths quite often, much more than we did 20 years ago do let me know your thoughts i'm on instagram on twitter and on facebook i'd love to hear from you any myths that you've heard of any ones that you think are true and do look at the show notes because often that has quite a lot of links that are of use if you want to kind of deep dive on anything in the meantime do take care i'll be with you again very soon stay well and until next time goodbye Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 